Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a universe where like AFL championships were more meaningful than modern Super Bowl championships? So you had bragging that 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 would be great because you'd be people would say like, well, when was the last time the Chargers won a Super Bowl? You'd be like, forget Super Bowls, we won an AFL championship. When was the last time you won that? We don't live in that universe, Dan. I know. I this is a bad, (laughs) bad universe. Welcome to Joe Picks an NFL Team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 NFL teams to find out who he should root for next season. In the first half of today's doubleheader, we shall finally cover the modern dynasty of the NFL, the reigning Super Bowl champions, a team that was one tuck rule away from never existing, the New England Patriots. So, for, there's a new part for any first-time listeners out there. We're going to break down the Patriots in 12 separate categories. And by the end of this episode, the Patriots will either have moved on to the Sweet 16 or they will have fired their last musket shot and be eliminated from contention. Joe, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Dan. It's good to be podcasting again. It's good to uh, see your beautiful face. You know, I, I feel like as fun as it was to have a guest host on the pod with us is you know this is nice this getting back to this dynamic it was a little it was a little tough to be out of the studio joe you know it's uncomfortable surroundings in south philly you know but eagles fans were booing from the street as they looked up and saw us podcasting so now we're back i'm back safely in my garage my friend sean who listens to every episode he doesn't write in but he said he enjoyed the episode he loves super fan tony but he says better in the field than in the booth Mm. Well, Tony, as we he was given homework and he did his homework, which will Love uh, come up later in the episode once we get to that part. But before we get to any of that, we're drinking something, aren't we, Joe? Dan, in honor of the New England Patriots, we are drinking Samuel Adams Boston Lager. Mm. How's your Samuel Adams, Dan? It actually was surprisingly difficult to get. I had to go to the supermarket. They did not have it. I had to go to liquor store number one. They did not have it. And liquor store number two had exactly one six pack of it left. Because in your in your trendy neighborhood of San Francisco, they only sell like micro brewed uh, stouts or something like that. I mean, you're actually saying this is a joke, but really, San Francisco has so many breweries. It like takes up half of the liquor store is taken up by local San Francisco brews. So it's interesting that you talk about these microbrews because Sam Adams is a signature beer of the Boston Brewing Company. It was founded in 1984 and it is often credited as starting the microbrew revolution. Wow. Jim Coke, K-O-C-H, no relation to the Coke brothers. He's the guy on all the commercials, right? Probably. He wears his like blue jeans and his denim shirt. Oh, that's definitely him. Yeah, that's definitely him. So first of all, call back to last week's episode. He's from Cincinnati, Mm. went to Harvard, learned to brew from his father. And this is his great, great grandfather's brew recipe. Wow. And he decided to name the beer after another famous Harvard alumnus, master brewer, who learned to brew from his father, the founding father, Samuel Adams, famous propagandist and the second cousin of the second president. John Adams. So the brewery is still right in the heart of Boston. It is a uh, staple of the New England area. So I think a very fitting beer for the New England Patriots. One one interesting trivia note is that the iconic Patriot on the uh, bottle that you have there, Dan. 
I'm looking right at it. Yeah. Is not at all what Samuel Adams looked like. Hmm. Uh, it, much, much closer to the portraits of Paul Revere. And if you look up what Samuel Adams looked like, he was not a pleasant looking man. So I can understand why they made that change. Well, the only thing I know about Paul Revere is that he looks exactly like Jack Black. Yeah. Well, look at the guy on that bottle. It looks a little bit like a skinny, fit, handsome Jack Black. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so that's why we're drinking Sam Adams. Wow, very nice. Very nice. It's very Boston, and the uh, Sam Adams Brewery might come up a little later in one of the other categories. So it is certainly a uh, Boston establishment. Moving right along, when we did the live at the NFL draft, we had a little bit of an abridged mailbag, and I'll tell you, it's piled up. So we are going to split this massive overflowing mailbag over both of these episodes in the doubleheader. Anything related to the Patriots will, of course, be talked about in this one, but we have a variety of mailbags about prior episodes. So we're going to split those up. So if you got it in, you might, might be in this episode, it might be in the next episode, but it'll be here. Dan, I missed it. I, I missed my weekly fix of, you know, what does Karsten think? What does Tom think? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. We're, we're about to find out. And for some <laughs> of right. these people, they've been waiting with bated breath for like two weeks. Is Sean in Hawaii? Is he writing in again? Well, so just wait and find out. All wait right. And find all out. Right. And for those of you and for those of you who want to get in your feedback, whether you're going to whether you're a Boston fan who I have no doubt is going to be very upset at us by the end of this episode or you want to comment about the teams that we're going to pick at the end of this episode or whatever, send your feedback to NFL at JoePicksPod.com which is what all of these people did. And let's get right into it. Joe, to start out, it's our good friend, Houston Texans fan, Jessica. Good afternoon, Joe. Thank you for reading my email. I appreciate the kind words. I just listened to the Atlanta podcast and I wanted to clear up our issue with the Wildcatters. We weren't sure the various Wildcatters, Wildcats, whatever, what they are. Jessica to the rescue. So here we go. Wildcatter versus Wildcat versus Wild Space Cat. A wildcatter, person who drills wildcat wells, which are wells that are drilled in locations where there is no knowledge of oil. Oh, so these are people just hoping to get lucky. So I like that name. They're wildcatters. They're just like out there just picking just random like, spots of land and going for Fuck it. it. Maybe there's oil here. So now I guess that spoils the, the uh, lead a little bit for wildcat, which is a form of well, which is called a wildcat well, which is a place where there's no knowledge of oil, but you're just drilling a well there got it so a wildcatter is a person who drills wildcat wells she really did these out of order she should have said wildcat first and then uh and then there's an actual wild cat which is an animal so just a, a, a wild cat yeah i guess it's just i mean maybe it's a type of cat but she just said it's just a wild cat is there one cat that's a type of wild cat or could it be any could it be like a house cat that lives outside you know, that, that cat that's a, that's a wild cat but see i think that's like a feral cat yeah i don't know she just says a wild cat is a is an it's, animal it's a cat it's a cat yeah. okay i mean when people have it as a mascots it seems uh, pretty ferocious so yeah and so i guess most teams that have a wild cat as their mascot are referring to the cat because i don't think i i can't picture any team that has like a, a well as a helmet well the houston oilers used to that's true but maybe it's like wildcat, but it also is related to like, you know, the wells. It's like double meaning. Yeah. We are a ferocious cat and we're also not sure if we have oil. Yeah. <laughs> could be could be under the stadium right now. <laughs> I hold 
you know, what we said before that I think Wildcatters, after learning the history of it, would have been a cooler name for the Texans. Absolutely, given that they used to be the Oilers. Like, that would be cool. That's a really good nod to the Oilers to fuck right. over that former owner who was, like, locking up the name. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that guy. All right. Thank you, Jessica. And moving right along, another Wildcat-related email, but just about a different Wildcat. Chase sent in a very nice email where he went to this very complicated research site, Wikipedia, and filled in some information that we couldn't figure out about the Bengals. So why was there a team called the Bengals? You know, the Bengals were named after a former professional football team in Cincinnati. Apparently, the world-renowned Cincinnati Zoo, aka the Harambe Zoo, used to be home to a rare white Bengal tiger. So... I think they were originally named the Bengals, the football team, because the zoo had this Bengal tiger. Tony really let us down on that one. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. It's Tony's fault. <laughs> yeah, we, we went into that episode, and Dan, I've never seen you happier. You're like, I don't have to do any research. Tony's got it. Tony, come on. Yeah, it's all Tony's fault. Super fan Tony. All right, moving right along. Benjamin sends in, I went to your webpage. It's not very informative. Severely disappointed. <laughs> That being said, can't help but really enjoy your podcast. I've been listening nonstop since about four days ago when I found it. I'm almost caught up to date. I love that maybe you guys don't have all the knowledge or whatever those hardcore diehard NFL fans always complain about, because I don't either. And it's pretty funny listening to people that know about as much as you do and throw caution to the wind a bit. And then, like you, Joe, Benjamin, his team is the Chargers. And much like the team, he made the move to LA as well. Wow. Well, I wonder if he can support the team now that he moved to L.A. too. On one hand, it would be hypocritical of Benjamin to punish the team for doing the exact same thing that he did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he might be doing it. Or, or did he move because the team moved? Is he that loyal a fan? Well, he says he moved 10 years ago. I'm, I'm paraphrasing his words a little bit, but in, I'm actually paraphrasing them to make it more confusing than if I had just read <laughs> his email originally. And in closing... I love that the webpage doesn't have anything relevant on it. It fits the mood of the podcast perfectly, which is, we're doing this just for us. Everybody else can jog on if they don't like it. Benjamin. Jog on. Benjamin. Does that even mean? Thank you. Thank you for understanding us with that incredibly confusing <laughs> insult. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about it is I worked hard on that webpage because what it does is I wrote a program that just takes a podcast feed and makes it into the website, which is why there's no extra information on the website, because the website literally is just a website version of the podcast feed, which unless everybody can read these XML podcast feed is actually pretty fucking useful. Yeah, but Dan, we could be putting stuff on that. We could be putting pictures of wildcat wells. We could be images of white white tigers from the 1920s what's the difference between a wildcat well and a regular well in a picture you don't know what's under there so it would look exactly the same yeah i mean we could have a whole we could have like a, a web game like is it guess is it a wildcat well or a regular well <laughs> we don't know yeah that's what we need to do because right now i would like to know this is the 13th out of 32 we're now into the middle third joe so We've gotten the first third out of the way, so we can really start experimenting with the format here before we get to the closing run. Things are going to get weird by the end. Yeah. <laughs> things are already... <laughs> things might be getting weird by the second part of this doubleheader. All right. Superfan JP. Hello, boys. Just started listening to the podcast about a week ago. Haven't caught up yet, but I thought I should write in an email. Love it so far. Very simple idea that you guys seem to have a fun time making. 
I, like Joe, was a San Diego Chargers fan. I was born, grew up, and currently live in San Diego and was a huge fan. Much like the majority of our fan base, I too despise their move to LA and have thought about switching teams to root for. I've always liked the Texans and the Buccaneers. Funny enough, I haven't listened to those episodes, but look forward to them. Boy, he's going to love the Texans episode if he's like the Texans fans. Also, my dad is a Cowboy fan along with his Charger fandom, so there are many ships for me to jump aboard. What? Cowboy and Charger fan, Joe? Is that, is that allowed? I mean, at this point in the game, anything's allowed. I mean, not for you, for him. Is that cool? You're just saying whatever. You, if, you're, if you had the indignity of being a Chargers fan, you could just do whatever you want. Well, I mean, it brings up a... I mean, we, can talk, we should talk about this when we talk about the Patriots. But I mean, I, I do somewhat support people having a NFC team as their second team if, they, if they're a fan of an AFC team. I think that's fine. I think it's acceptable. I'll allow it. Okay. And Superfan JP finishes, as much as I want to start looking for another team, I still find myself subconsciously saying we or our when talking about the Chargers. All in all, awesome podcast. Keep up the great work. And thanks for giving me something to listen to in the car. Oh, thanks, JP. You know, if you listen, I do I do it too. When I talk about the Chargers, I still say we and our, but nonetheless, I will hopefully transfer that to another team. It's going to be weird, Joe. You you really have to like give up on them. It's it's almost getting to time. I mean, the draft just happened. The teams are going to start doing their mini camp soon. Well, as you said, we're in our middle third. I mean, it's this is it. Yeah. Okay. Super fan Tony. This before we get into uh, the Patriots stuff, for which I'll start with Tony, and then we've got a couple more Patriots comments. We have got to do corrections from last week. Super fan Tony, correction. He said that the catch occurred against the Bengals. Actually, it turns out that the catch was in an NFC title game. And so that wasn't the catch. However, the catch occurred against the Bengals. that was also known as catch two or the catch two. So it also was a catch, but it's just not the catch could be called the catch two. I guarantee you nobody listening knew or cared, but Tony wanted to send that in. Wait, so Tony was correcting himself? He was correcting himself. Tony listened to the <laughs> podcast and heard him say that the catch occurred against the Bengals, but the catch actually occurred in the NFC title game, but a catch that is also called the catch number two occurred against the Bengals in the 1988 Super Bowl that they lost. Just to clarify, literally no one who listened cared except for Tony who was correcting himself. And I have no doubt that people who just listened to me speak for the last 30 seconds probably have no idea what I was even saying. So that's what we'll move on to another correction. This correction is on me. I made a mistake that I listened to. When Tony was railing against the Ravens, he was bringing up Ray Lewis. And I had said Ray Lewis was acquitted of the murder charge. That was incorrect. Ray Lewis was charged with murder, but pled in exchange for giving testimony against two companions of his, pled to misdemeanor charge of obstruction of justice for giving a misleading statement to the police the morning after the killings. So Ray Lewis actually was guilty of obstruction of justice. He was never charged with murder or or the charge was revised. And the two people that he testified against were found innocent. And uh, for Ray Lewis's plea, he got 12 months of probation. So Ray Lewis, you know, he did uh, he did run a drift of the law a little bit there. Yeah, I'm sure that'll come up in the Ravens episode. Yeah. Anyways, our fans out there really want to make sure they're getting the the honest stuff here. And now all that 
aside, let's get into Patriots-related mailbag. Start with Karsten, who sends in a brief one-line thing that I'm going to read now instead of the owner section, but he says, Robert Kraft is quoted as saying, quote, jealousy and envy are incurable diseases. I feel like that sums this entire organization up. Okay, there you go, Karsten. Are they... Okay, fair enough. Tom, he's back. He actually sent in this rant uh, in the Falcons episode, but I've saved it for this episode. New England sports fans can be the worst. We have all met bad losers. The problem with New England sports fans is that they are the worst losers, even when they win. They have this (laughs) curse of the Bambino. New York is clearly better than us bullshit. So I was sitting in Rhode Island, which didn't get the message that the Patriots play in Massachusetts. I get a little behind the Super Bowl because we're putting Emmy to bed. And I start fast forwarding in the third quarter to watch the commercials because they're more interesting than the game. I see it starts getting close. Then I hear fireworks go off and say to Bree, the Patriots just won. She says, why? I say, because they're not setting off fireworks because the Patriots lost. <laughs> I don't know, Tom. It's like, <laughs> you just won the Super Bowl. Like, I- I'm going to give that on the rantometer like a one out of ten. Yeah, Tom, I'm not sure that story kind of... Needed a bigger punch at the end. I'll be honest. That's I mean, I, this is unabridged. That's what he says. I mean, I guess so. So, so his theory, they should have been shooting off fireworks like no matter what. Like, well, good game. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you set off fireworks if they won? I don't know. Let's, Absolutely. let's not dwell on that. Let's not dwell on that. You know, Tom, Tom, had that, Tom had that great line about uh, Matt Ryan. Tom can up only downhill from there. Strike gold once. Yeah. And now, super fan Tony's homework which is he's going to tell us about the draft of every team. The Patriots draft, very simply, and they did a very interesting thing, which is they traded their first-round pick, which is, of course, the 32nd-round pick, for Brandon Cook of the Saints, their sort of star up-and-coming wide receiver. Mm. So basically, he, Tony says that's a much bigger deal than their four later-round picks. So they basically exchanged some pick that might be good in the future, you know, two, three, four years, maybe some piece on defense or something for just an all-star wide receiver that they know is just going to fit into the organization and be a new weapon for Tom Brady. I mean, the draft must be such an interesting experience for a Patriots fan because you sometimes you might leave the whole first round of a draft, even with multiple picks without any player and with just a bunch of future picks. That's just their whole MO is kind of building for the future. They've, they love trading picks now for picks in the future, for picks in future years for, you know, they, they, are very good at the draft. They're very good at taking, you know, these sort of players that slip into later rounds that fit into their system. I mean, they're the fucking Patriots. But before we get into it, we've got so much to talk about the Patriots. Joe, what's the fan feedback like from our Bengals uh, episode? Well, Dan, Tony will be happy to know that the Bengals fans, huge fans of the podcast. So first of all, let me say Bengals fans were a little bit disappointed in Tony. Tony became a pretty controversial figure on the Bengals Reddit page. Wow. I'm shocked. What was controversial? Well, they liked him. They felt like he represented the city well, but they but they just felt like he left a lot to be desired. The most common complaint is that when he talked about the zoo, he failed to mention that the white Bengal tiger was from that zoo. Oh. People didn't like that. Also failed to mention that the city of Cincinnati was named after an early Roman general named Cincinnatus who gave up his crown. As a former Latin student, I'm very familiar with Cincinnatus. Very big figure in ancient Rome. The last point is that he didn't bring up Cincinnati-style chili. 
Oh, but Tony loves, I, I, I look, I've never been to Cincinnati. I've never had this, but Tony has mentioned Skyline Chili so many times. I, I can't even describe People it. People were upset that he didn't mention Skyline in particular, that he didn't mention it on the podcast. Yeah. I, look, I don't know what Skyline Chili is. I don't know what, how it's served, what it looks like, but I've heard the term Skyline Chili a hundred times from Super Fan Tony. It's basically, what I, from what I can tell, it's basically chili served over pasta and it sounds disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the, what the people don't understand is we were under severe time pressure. Poor Tony wanted to say so many more things, but wasn't able to. But Dan, the most exciting bit of fan feedback actually answers a question that we had on, a, on an earlier podcast. So this person, I won't read it all, but they basically correct the fact that uh, it was from this Bengal tiger who was at the Cincinnati Zoo. In fact, they specify that it was a white Bengal tiger. Hey, that's what I said. That's what the email said. Which was why... The color rush uniforms this year for the Bengals were white with white stripes. Whoa. And here's here's the real question that it answered. Unfortunately, the Bengals were not able to wear helmets that were white because of the NFL's one helmet rule. Remember, we debated in the Giants episode if they had multiple helmets and someone clarified a team is provided with only one set of helmets and a player has to wear their assigned helmet all season long. This rule was established in 2013 to further prevent head trauma because the NFL has deemed it unsafe to wear brand new out of the box helmet without going through the lengthy breaking in period. So with the color rush uniforms of Bengal, we're honoring the white Bengal tiger that the team was named after by having our colors be white with black stripes. But because of the one helmet rule, the team had to wear their usual orange with black stripe helmets. I thought they could repaint helmets and make them look however they wanted. This was also, this This became a whole debate on the Reddit forum, and apparently they could. However, the Thursday to Sunday turnaround when you wear the color rush was did not allow for enough time for that to happen. That makes sense. God, boy, these Bengals fans, very knowledgeable. So we really answered a lot of questions with the fan feedback. Wow. And And the best bit of fan feedback... Marshall Salty asked the one negative bit of feedback. How do you wake up and pick who you like? Well, Marshall Salty, I don't. I spend a six month process podcasting once a week to try and figure out who I'm going to like. He doesn't understand the this series, but I think the people who are just listening to it on a one episode basis, maybe they thought it's just like, we're just recording. You just picked a random team. And you're like, I'm going to explore the Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Done. Nope, never mind. I'll stick with the Chargers. Well, I mean, if you only <laughs> if you only score one team, they're gonna be the highest score. Yeah, Bengals did pretty well on their own. All right. On to the Patriots. Let's do it, Joe. Number one. You don't want a team that is too good or too bad. Hmm. This is it's gonna be an interesting <laughs> one, Joe. Gonna be an interesting one. And everybody for our, our active listeners, get ready for a little new section here. So Start with the Super Bowl odds. They are four to one, which is by far the highest in the NFL. Second is ten to one. So they are the overwhelming Super Bowl. Well, they're not the overwhelming Super Bowl favorites in that they're still like way less than fifty percent, but they are the uh, you know odds-on favorite to win based on betting odds. The Patriots have won five Super Bowls in the past. 2001, 2003, 2004, 2014, and 2016 last season. And now, new segment, we've got the over-unders from Vegas. Now that the schedule is out and the draft is done, Vegas is releasing the over-unders. So the over-under for the Patriots wins is 12.5, which is the highest over-under 
for any team in at least the last 10 years. Second best in the NFL is Seattle and Pittsburgh, who are at 10 and a half. So the Patriots' expected win total is two wins higher than any other team in the NFL, which is insane. That seems high. You know, the one thing that makes that a little bit more plausible is the fact that the Patriots, if I remember correctly, tend not to rest their players. They tend to, even if they have the playoffs or the first seed locked up, they just play to win every game. Yeah, I mean, it depends. But I think in the AFC especially, it's it's hard to be in such a dominating position that you're not playing for anything in Week 17. I mean, it happens sometimes. But anyways, though, before we get into all of that, we've got to play our very famous game, top third, middle third, or bottom third. I can't wait for this one. It would be so stupid we're not playing that this <laughs> oh, week. Damn it. We are going to play a new revised Patriots-only game, which is first place alone or tied first place. So for the three <laughs> things, win percentage, playoff wins, and number of times they've made the playoffs in the past 10 years, are the Patriots the clear number one in every category, or are they only tie number one in at least one of the categories? Are they just clearly the best in everything, or are they is there one category where they're not clearly the best? Well, every time they make a Super Bowl run, they're winning a shitload of playoff games. So I have to imagine that they're number one in terms of playoff wins. They have been to the playoffs every year, I think, for the last 10 years. Maybe they missed one. I don't know. But, they, but they've got to be number one there. They, they must be alone number one for all three. Joe, you are wrong. Oh, no. Your great line of thinking. So the win percentage is number one. It's not even close. They're like 10 percentage points higher than everybody else. Right. 78.8. Their playoff wins is number one. and It's not even close. 13. And the next highest is 10. But they missed the playoffs one year, the year that uh, Tom Brady got hurt. Mm -hmm. And whatever their backups quarterback name was, the USC guy, he was their quarterback. They still went 10 and 6, but they missed the playoffs. So they've only made the playoffs nine out of the last 10 years, which one other team has also done, a team we have not covered yet, but the Green Bay Packers also have made the playoffs nine out of the last 10 years. So they are only tied number one for that category. Wow. That's uh, that's basically all the statistics, Joe. So you don't want a team that's too good or too bad. What do you think? The too good portion of this category was almost exclusively made with the Patriots in mind. Because not only are they obviously incredibly good, but the problem with them is that, you know, what this category is really about is how much excitement would I get if the Patriots won the Super Bowl? So there's two problems with this. One is that not only have they won it so many times that it's essentially meaningless, but now as of this last year, they've basically won it in every conceivable way possible. And lost it in every conceivable way possible. They've been to seven Super Bowls. They've now won it with epic comebacks. They've won it based on like defensive struggles, offensive struggles. I mean, it's just... And they lost when they had the best team in NFL history. I mean, it's just like incredible. Right. If you're a Patriots fan, the only excitement left is either going 19-0. and Yeah. Or I would say, I guess, beating the Giants in the Super Bowl because that's sort of been like one flaw in the or one like fly in the ointment for for this dynasty but so you really think like if the patriots come in and they're like huge favorites and they beat the giants like who's gonna care i mean maybe they're gonna be like oh we got you but then the giants would be like oh well we beat you the time where you we really wanted to season. win yeah. yeah like i think the only knock against the patriots 
is that they've won the Super Bowl the most satisfaction, but they lost the Super. They would trade, I think, two of their wins for the nineteen and zero. There's just no, there's just no excitement. And the other reason, the second thing that makes them sort of like the worst version of being too good is that you kind of get. So if I were to become a fan now, you kind of get the impression, you get the feeling that you're there for like right before the down slope, because eventually. And it might not even be for five years. Tom Brady's going to retire. He cannot be playing football five years from now. It's impossible. Right. And eventually, Bill Belichick will be like dragged back down to hell. <laughs> Where his soulless body. Your, can... your deal with the devil, the time has come. <laughs> exactly. And when one of those two things happen, or p- possibly even both at the same time, <laughs> it will be over. And the only thing that Patriots fans will have to look back on is this amazing dynasty. And if I were to sign up now without even having been a part of that fun part, that would be pretty brutal. So this is like the worst version. This is a zero out of 10. They are just too, they're just way too good. Yep. It's the only fair score. Number two, what do you think about the division? So interesting thing now that we can put in for all of our little handicappers out there. Since we've got the over-unders for every team, we sort of got the over-under for the division so we can see what sort of Vegas is predicting. So we've already you've already rated this division once, but I'm just going to add in this new information now that we've got it. So the Patriots, their over-under is 12 and a half. We already know they've won this division the past eight years. They've won 13 out of the past 14 years, which is absolutely insane, a run that will never be matched again. So Vegas right. is predicting them to win again. Second is Vegas is putting Miami at seven and a half wins. So they're saying Miami is, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight team. Buffalo, six wins and the Jets, five wins. So it's you've got one historically great team and one so-so team and then two bad teams. So in the Jets episode, we talked about how this is a pretty lackluster division. When we did it for the Jets, you gave the score from the Jets perspective a three out of 10. Right. In a sense, I suppose it's a little bit better from the Patriots standpoint because the division is so weak and so weak relative to the Patriots that it it essentially makes the regular season like a 16 game preseason for them. Yeah. It is kind of funny, though, because I was I was thinking about who is the Patriots biggest rival and, you know, quip the line about like it can't be a rivalry unless it's even. And I think the only team you could argue has actually had any actual rivalry was the team Peyton Manning was playing on, whether it was the Colts or the Broncos who actually beat the, I mean, even I guess when, what's his name, that uh, the Texans quarterback, he beat the Patriots once in that crazy game. But none of these teams have actually matched up. You know, when Rex Ryan, I mean, Rex Ryan has coached two of the teams in the division and both times when he came to the Jets and when he came to the Bills, he was like, we're going to beat the Patriots. And, you know, he did so, I mean, the Jets beat the Patriots in the playoffs. But they don't feel like a rivalry. I think they were in those like two years when the Jets well, were good. But now, yeah. like the Jets, are, every team is just going to get stomped by the Patriots. No, I mean, the having lived in Boston, the, the like technical answer, I think, is that when you're matching up which teams are rivals, the Jets are certainly the Patriots division rival. But yeah. it is definitely not an even rivalry. And I would absolutely agree that it was the Colts and then it became the Broncos. I mean, essentially, their rival was Peyton Manning. Sort of funny. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't a team. It was a person. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's slightly better for the Patriots, but it's still a pretty weak division. But I'll say it's a four out of 10 from the Patriots perspective. Yeah, I think it's fair. Okay. Well, the Patriots are off to by far the worst start of any team. But they've made it, but they made big comebacks from bad starts before. That's, that's true. It's We've true. seen it happen. Well, number three, I think, is going to be there that first like long completion. Does the head coach meet a minimum threshold of competence? Well, their coach is, of course, Bill Belichick, the longest tenured coach in the NFL. Roto World, of course, rates him at number one. To quote, so is the banality of Belichick's greatness, a methodical march that's produced seven straight 12-1 seasons and six straight AFC Championship games appearance, that Belichick's five Lombardies are as many as every other active coach combined. Belichick's 26 postseason victories would be tied for 18th in regular season victories among his current peers. To say Belichick is the best coach in the NFL is to say the sky is blue. What he's chasing now is a spot on America's coaching Mount Rushmore. Vince Lombardi, Red Auerbach, Scotty Bowman, Bear Bryant. That's the company Belichick keeps, not Pete Carroll, John Harbaugh, or whoever else the league throws at him. Yeah, I mean... We, we talked about Matt Ryan possibly being a robot because he's so boring. I do think that like there's some possibility that Bill Belichick is like, you know, you know how like Watson was beating people in jeopardy and deep blue beat people in chess that he's some like AI created coaching machine where they're going to be like, yeah, you know, this was a, this was all an experiment and he's AI yeah, and he's better. We, we were able to make him a great coach. The only thing, no matter how much we tweaked it, we couldn't make him not an unrepentant asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but. But he's a great coach. We didn't uh, have the memory for the personality, so exactly. it was just football. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's. we talked about this with, with, with Pete Carroll. If you were any other team, you would give up years worth of first-round picks for this yeah, coach. That's the only question, it, right. is how many years of straight first-round picks would you give up for Bill Belichick? And I think, honestly, the answer is infinite. I think you would right. give up, right. a, assuming, to your point, that he wasn't dragged back into whatever nether regions he came from. <laughs> then you knew you were going to get it for like 20 years. You would just give up your first round pick forever to have Bill Belichick. He's worth yeah, You would it. say for every year that he's our coach, we'll give up our first round pick. Yeah, Absolutely. Done. In a second. Uh, so yeah, this is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Big comeback. All right. Do the players get in trouble with the law? It'll be interesting to see if even after a bad start, if they can get more points than the Falcons. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Well, this this one might hurt them, Joe. You know, they completed a long pass, but this is going to be a tough one. Do they get in trouble with the law? All right, Joe. Past five years, what do you think? Uh, middle of the pack, bottom of the pack, top of the pack. I'm just going to guess middle of the pack. All right, you're right. They've only had five incidents in the past five years. Unfortunately for them, one of those incidents is one of their players murdered somebody else. So that is yeah. pretty, pretty bad. Now, that's actually not what I'm going to feature in this because it's very sad but I'm just going to explain the timeline very briefly of how the Patriots reacted to it because as far as I'm aware, this is the only time in certainly modern history where an NFL player has been convicted of murder. And Aaron Hernandez recently committed suicide, so it's a very sad ending to a very sad story. But on June 17th, Aaron Hernandez murders Odin Lloyd. On June 18th, the police come to Hernandez's house, search his house, find many suspicious things. His home security system, is he's destroyed it himself. His cell phone is destroyed. Cleaners are like going through the house, cleaning it. Two days later, Aaron Hernandez shows up at Gillette Stadium for a workout. The Patriots staff is waiting for him and tell him, go home. You're not welcome here. So this is before he's been charged with anything. But at this point, it's kind of like the OJ Simpson thing where like helicopters are like following him around. 
and they right. were just like, get out of here. Six days later, he's so at that point, he's like barred from Gillette Stadium. It's obviously the middle of the off season, so it's not really they weren't sacrificing anything. Well, yeah. the people at Gillette Stadium were like, why are you here? Like, there was no workout <laughs> scheduled today. He obviously was just going there to like find some sort of sympathetic ear or something. Six days later, he's uh, taken away in police and handcuffs. At this point, the Patriots release him even before charges are filed. Once he's arrested, obviously the Patriots probably knew, had their own team of investigators on this. An hour and a half after he's on tape getting handcuffed, he's released. That's it, released. You know, they're eating the salary cap, whatever. They don't even know what's going to happen with the trial. It's not, you know, like Michael Vick was still on the team when he was doing it, that he's just released and they released a statement. A young man was murdered last week and we extend our sympathies to the family and friends who are mourning his loss. Words cannot express the disappointment we feel knowing one of our players was arrested as a result of this investigation. We realize that law enforcement investigation into this matter are ongoing. We support their efforts and respect the process. At this time, we believe this transaction is simply the right thing to do. The transaction, of course, being releasing him. So at that point, you know, they were pretty pretty confident that he was guilty right yeah i mean it's 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 sort of a low bar to praise a team for releasing a murderer yeah well that's just that's our that's our amuse bouche i just want to i just want to get that out of the way but that's not what i'm going to highlight what i'm going to highlight this is going to be the first time in this series where the highlight is not necessarily a player on the team it's not necessarily a coach on the team but it's sort of the organization itself and so I'm not going to go after Deflategate, which I think is sort of an overblown, stupid thing. But I'm going to go after Spygate, which I think is a real thing, a legitimate thing. And it's also bad that the team already has two things with Gate in the name. So what is Spygate? In a game against the New York Jets in 2007, the New England Patriots were caught videotaping the Jets' play-calling signals. Now, this isn't necessarily against NFL rules. You're allowed to videotape people, but there are specific spots on the field that the NFL sort of allows this videotaping to be done from. The Patriots were videotaping it from the stands and were doing it like off the record. So they were doing it in a way where the other teams couldn't sort of see that they were doing it. After a thorough investigation, the league determined this was a common practice for the Patriots from 2002 to 2007, which also was pretty pretty good times to be a Patriots fan, certainly in the early time when they were winning all those Super Bowls. As a result of the investigation, Commissioner Roger Goodell responded by fining him $250,000, which was the maximum they could be fined, taking away a first-round draft choice, which is a huge penalty, and fining Bill Belichick $500,000. So that's it. And then this whole thing is sort of closed in a really weird way. So the NFL goes to the Patriots' Playson was like, give us all the tapes that you recorded so we can look at them. The Patriots said, no, we're not giving you the tapes. They're not leaving our property. So the NFL sent personnel to the Patriots headquarters. They found all the tapes and they just destroyed all the tapes. So cue a million conspiracy theories about the NFL not properly seeing what actually was on these tapes and what they did or did not record. But all the evidence destroyed by NFL personnel at Patriots headquarters. Weird. I mean, it could have been anything on the, I mean, NFL films takes those rules pretty seriously about like not, not for rebroadcast. So maybe they were just <laughs> being really strict about it. But there's no FBI director right now. So it's like, it's free reign. <laughs> so if they had just held onto the tapes and then, so this guy, Matt Walsh, who was a Patriots video assistant is like, 
I've got information about this, but I'm not testifying unless I get like immunity from that. I'm not going to be sued by anybody. So there's like this back and forth negotiation. He eventually gets immunity from both the Patriots and the NFL. And then he goes to the NFL and has all of these tapes. He has tapes from 2000 to like 2008 of them recording the other team's signal of of them like recording it. The NFL was like, wait, how does he have tapes? I thought the tapes were destroyed. He's the guy. I mean, he must have had his own tapes or he like hid them somewhere. I don't know. But they were like, you've got to show us the tapes. That's against so many NFL rules. Apparently, the yes, he was rebroadcasting. He would go to bars and put in the tapes (laughs) and everybody would just watch the opposing coach or whatever. So have the tapes. The NFL looks at the tapes and they're like, okay, it's just what we thought. This guy's just like confirming it. Now, go forward to 2015. An ESPN report goes back in time and is arguing that the true extent of the Spygate scandal was covered up by Goodell and the NFL to protect the image of the NFL and as a favor as a favor to Robert Kraft, who was really helpful in making Goodell the commissioner. The report alleges that a highly complex system was in place that recorded other team signals, and then these signals in real time were decoded and relayed to Patriots coaches and players on the field from 2000 to 2007. And that's why there's a very common thing out there that the deflate gate punishment and case was Roger Goodell. Basically, all the other teams are like, hey, when New England actually did this thing that was horribly like illegal and against the rules, you gave them sort of a slap in the wrist. And now we want them to be punished even if this deflategate thing is obviously stupid because they're arguing that this spygate thing was swept under the rug and the spygate was like an actual thing. Now, further, the last bit of evidence here, Josh McDaniels, who was a disciple of Bill Belichick, when he went and was a Broncos head coach for one year, guess what he was caught doing? He was caught filming the practices of the 49ers while he was the coach of the Denver Broncos and the Broncos were busted for it. So Josh McDaniels busted for the exact same thing that Bill Belichick was like, you know, they're like, oh, we weren't doing this anymore. So is there's, I think, certainly some evidence that uh, that the team was sort of orchestrating this thing against the rules in order to give themselves an advantage. You would think that in 2013 or whenever this was going down, that the this NFL was going would- down like. 2000 to like 2007 when they got right. busted for 2000 to the NFL would have figured out a better way for teams to be getting their defensive calls into the players it it just seems so antiquated to be sending signals that have to be decoded and you know whatever it's like have someone in a booth with a headset yeah. like it, I it, mean that's what they do now they they have the defensive caller and the offensive yeah so it just seems ridiculous that a decade ago they weren't doing that yeah at the at the at that time only the quarterback got to have a headset and there's nobody on the defense could but like radio technology has existed since World War one I. I mean the quarterback the quarterback had the helmet like that so it's, it's sort of ridiculous that they they gave the offense that but not the defense right right I remember feeling this way during the Spygate. And obviously I felt very aggrieved during the Spygate time because there were there were times when the Patriots beat the that was also a good era for the Chargers. There were times when the Patriots beat the yeah. Chargers when the Chargers should have beat them in playoff games. And, you know, basically every team that lost to the Patriots had to wonder were they stealing our plays? 
as aggrieved as I felt, I also couldn't help but feel at the time like, well, why the fuck isn't my team doing this? Like there is this sense every time the Patriots do something wrong of, yeah, that that's really messed up. But man, I wish that my team was so committed to winning that they were just breaking and bending every rule. And probably if this is the shit that we know the Patriots did, there's probably like a, like 90% of it that we don't know that they did to try and gain an advantage. And you kind of want your team doing that. So no, no, no. It's easy to refute. Okay. You could argue that like, Bill Romanowski would always be like, you know, he was like an insane person. He would be like, I'd get into a pile up with players and I just grab somebody's finger and just break it in half because it's like, that's an advantage for my team. Yeah. No, there's got to be some decorum in the league to maintain a like fair thing. You know, it's not like in the NFL draft, you know, you have like 10 minutes to get your picks in and like other teams aren't like physically like assaulting the other team so they can't get their pick in so they can like move up a spot have some decorum this shouldn't encourage this cheating like it's a simple system let people make their defensive calls so we can play a fucking fair game i don't want my team doing it i want my team playing within the rules if i were a charger fan and there were a player in the draft that we wanted and we knew that the broncos were picking right before us we're going to take him and then as they walked to the stage tom tom telesco tackled tackled the Broncos GM before he could bring up the envelope. Unplug I'd be like the phone. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck yes. That's awesome. Or like scramble it so when they pick up the phone to put in the pick, you just have like a decoy person who's like, hello, NFL draft here. Oh yes, you're selecting that person. Excellent. Great pick. We'll make sure to get it in right now. <laughs> oh, Roger is walking to the stage right now. Yes. <laughs> so the Patriots cheating, I mean I will grant it is worse than like, oh, it's a, it's, it's the sort of like bending of the rules, like cute type of cheating that like, oh, you know, they put like some sticky shit on their gloves or whatever. Like it, yeah, it's yeah. beyond like the bending of the rules, but it still to me falls within the category of, you know, they're not like bribing refs. They're not shaving points. They're doing things that you kind of still wish your team did. Um, oh, but, you know, this is why it's Joe picks a team and not me. But, you know, you're, but, that's what you want. That's what you can have. Also, their team has a convicted murderer on it. Well, I mean, to that point, to the point that we usually judge teams on is how they deal with this. The one thing that I'll say about the Patriots that is a pretty good thing in this category is they more or less treat every player as indispensable. Yeah. The one player they don't is Tom Brady. And even during the Deflategate thing, like how long did it take before Bill, Be- Bill Belichick was like, well, he probably did it. Go ask Tom. Like, you know, like, like they do not... You know, if Tom Brady murdered somebody, they would just get some other person on the team and be like, look, I know you're on the practice squad. You got to you got to do this. The ball boy actually murdered (laughs) murdered that person. (laughs) Who was that? Who was that video coordinator guy? He did it. Matt Walsh. He's serial killer. Matt Walsh just killed everyone. Uh, Yeah. Look, but but this category I'm coming at this, you know, in a long way. This category is is the team evil. And I think even Patriots fans would proudly admit that their team is pretty evil right now. I mean, they wouldn't, but they should. It's a type of, it's a type of evil that you might want to root for, but they're still evil. Look, this is, this is a five out of 10. <laughs> I know you think it's too high, but it's five out of 10. The last three scores are zero, two, and one. You're, they have a convicted murderer. Unbelievable. They released him right away. They didn't, they didn't know he was a murderer. Well, he had a history, which I didn't get into. I wanted to spend this time on Spygate, but Aaron Hernandez had some shady things in his past. 
But you know what? Look, the score is in. Five out of ten. Whatever. They're, they're coming back on the Falcons again. Unbelievable. Actually, you gave the Falcons the same score, so the Falcons are holding them off. But number five, can't root for a team that Rob roots for. Rob is a Packers fan, so and he's he is a good, upstanding, moral citizen, regardless of how you feel about his uh, Robness. He is going to absolutely despise the Patriots. Well, Rob loves the Patriots. No. They are Rob. Rob's third favorite team. No. No. What? They, are Rob's they third. couldn't be less like the Green Bay Packers. It's disgusting. Rob says, the Patriots are a tough one for me. They are technically my hometown team, which usually puts them third on my list after my favorite and any Seattle team. But they've been successful, dogged by allegations of cheating, and their owner and star player are all over Trump's nutsack. I don't want to like them as much uh, as I do. Also, their head coach is all over Trump's nutsack. I would like to actually take this because we've passed that category, so I, I won't have the chance to read this. <clears throat> and I quote, Congratulations on a tremendous campaign. You have dealt with an unbelievable slanted and negative media and have come out beautifully. You've proved to be the ultimate competitor and fighter. Your leadership is amazing. I have always had tremendous respect for you, but the toughness and perseverance you have displayed over the past year is remarkable. Hopefully tomorrow's election results will give you the opportunity to make America great again. Best wishes for great results tomorrow. Bill Belichick. Okay, now hold on, hold on. Here's a bit of, I want to come to Bill Belichick's defense here. A lot of people don't know this, but he sent the same letter to Hillary Clinton. He's just hedging. <laughs> He's hedging. The one bit he changed is where it says, make America great again. He said to, you know, move Much like forward. the Patriots, we will be stronger together. <laughs> yes, exactly. We will be stronger well, together. He, you notice it doesn't say Trump anywhere in there. All, all the only message that he sent to to Donald Trump was like, best wishes for great results tomorrow, Bill Belichick. And Donald Trump just like made up the rest of it. <laughs> I've always had tremendous respect for like Bill Belichick. The only right. thing he I've, will talk never, about in more yeah. than one sentence is if you ask about like a specific football play or a player. He will not. No, it's, it's technically true that this is actually a, a little. Bill Belichick does not know any adjectives. <laughs> they, uh, they didn't teach him that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So. Rob loves the Patriots, very conflicted about them. They're third on his list. but Oh, that's good. That means you have to rate them poorly. Them. So I have to rate them poorly. Oh. What did I give uh, the Seahawks in this category? A two out of ten. So he, like, he likes the Patriots slightly less than the Seahawks. So we'll give them a little bit of a boost. So two and a half out of ten. All right. Number six. Now, Joe, this one is, this might be a tough one for you. Is this a city you would enjoy visiting to go to a game? Now, for the people listening to the podcast who, of course, don't know this, Joe, you went to college in Boston. Yeah, I love Boston. It's a great city. Is Brandeis actually in Boston proper? Is it in some little like... It's a suburb. It's a suburb of Boston called Waltham, Massachusetts, about nine and a half miles outside. Wow. Well, that's pretty lame. I thought it was in Boston. Oh, well, you know, Waltham is a, is a pretty rocking town in its own right, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it lame at all. Um yeah, but Boston's great. Really fun place to uh, visit. Your your sister lives in Boston, so that's you know, true. My we younger have sister. We can visit. Let me go through the top eight places, and let's see if you've been to all of them and what you think of them. 
Number one, Fenway Park. Yes, been to Fenway Park. It was actually fairly uncomfortable with a lot of obstructive views. <laughs> okay. Two, Museum of Fine Arts. Yes, Brandeis students get free admission there. Oh, wow. Number three, the Freedom Trail. Yeah, you can go to Paul Revere's house. Oh, man. Number four, Boston Public Garden. No, I don't care for gardens. <laughs> Done with it. Number five, North End. I don't even know what that is. It's not. That's like that's like the um, the Little Italy area, and of course, that's also where the Freedom Trail is. So yes, the Sam Adams Brewery. I've, no, I've never been to the Sam Adams Brewery. Apparently, it's pretty good. And then, last but not least, the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum at number eight. Uh, no, never been there. All right. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to now talk about the Boston Tea Party for 20 seconds for all of them. I talked to my history guy. Now, two things about Boston. I'm adding in the Civil War section. What was Boston's role in the Civil War? That's, it's big. So okay. Boston was actually the heartbed of abolitionists, which is pretty important because the New York financiers were actually like sort of involved in the like money exchange of this plantations and stuff. So they, they were like conflicted a little bit in Boston. They were these, it was like everybody was abolitionists. They were like slavery cannot exist. It's horrible. And Boston is where all these like thinkers were. So it was very important uh, in the Civil War as kind of being the staunch people that were like, no, slavery can't exist anywhere. I don't care if it's like it's really far away. Which is funny because in my experience, people in Boston are super racist. But okay. <laughs> Let's, we'll get into that in the fan section. All right. Well, I'm not even doing the Boston Tea Party, so fuck it. All right. I'll just say one thing that my history friend said that's very important to note. That in the pictures you'll see in the Boston Tea Party, it's like this ship. And then you always see all these crates of tea in the in the water. Well, as it turns out, those crates were fucking heavy. So the people didn't probably throw the crates overboard. They probably just like pulled the tea out and just threw the tea into the water. But but the imagery of that is much less effective. I know. But these people couldn't lift these crates. I mean, you would just you should see just like tea colored water and crates still <laughs> on the ships <laughs> if they were playing it right. But was this like were these tea bags or loose leaf tea? Because that would be like if you took it out of the crate, you'd be like just throwing handfuls of loose leaf tea over the edge. That's literally what they were doing. They were yeah, it was loosely there weren't there weren't tea bags in the 1700s. Well, I don't know was, when were tea bags invented. It was crates of tea those from like China or something. Let's have can your history friend write in because it You the, think there were individual tea bags in the 1700s? I'm just saying it doesn't seem like the technology behind the teabag is something that couldn't couldn't have existed in the 1700s. Of course it couldn't have existed. That's insane. It's, it, each one would have had to be like handmade with what? They don't even have adhesives back then. Yeah, that's that's why the British were taxing it so much. It's a pretty valuable product. Now, that's another common misconception. The, All right, whatever. The I actually Boston don't care about Tea this. Party wasn't about high taxes. In fact, the uh, importing of all this tea would have made tea cheaper. The Americans were just pissed. They said, hey, we set the rules about our imports, not you, you fucks. Okay, look, this podcast is called Joe Picks an NFL Team, not Dan shits on Joe's knowledge of history. <laughs> so, right. so is it a city you would like to go back to ever having lived there for four years? Look, I think it should be noted that Foxborough is really fucking far away from Boston. I have no idea where it is. Well, we argued about this once, Dan, and I showed you on a map that Foxborough is actually technically closer to Providence, Rhode Island than it is to Boston. I don't know where Providence, Rhode Island is. Like, not not close to Boston. Like, a pain in the ass to drive to. It's in the middle of nowhere. It is a shitty drive, especially, like, during a game when there's a ton of traffic. 
so like that, that kind of sucks. But um, other than that, Boston's a great city, a lot of fun to visit, and um, certainly a place that I would like to go back to. Um, so that would be fun. So yeah, this is like a seven out of 10. All right. It's below Atlanta for all our Falcons fans. So Atlanta's got a, a nice, comfortable lead here. They're not going to blow this. And now we're, we're into the second half of the game. So this is good. Number seven, does the team have player or players you could put on your fantasy roster? So Tom Brady last year was the about the 10th or 15th best quarterback, somewhere in that range, but he only played 12 games. So in his 12 games, he had 28 touchdowns, two interceptions, and 3,500 yards, which is insane. If you scale that up to 16 games, he would have been the third best fantasy quarterback in the game. Now, so they had LeGarrette Blount last year. He was great. Seventh best running back, which is very unusual for the Patriots because sometimes their running backs are very hit or miss. Like some games they'll get tons of rushing attempts and the next game they'll get like zero. But LeGarrette Blount was number two in rushing attempts in the NFL, number one in rushing TDs, 1,160 yards. The trouble is he is not re-signed yet for the Patriots. So I don't know if he's going to be on the team. He might be, he might not be. And, you know, if he's not on the team, who knows what their running game is going to be like. You know, the running back on the Patriots is always really questionable territory when you're uh, looking for fantasy value. Now, when it comes to wide receivers, we've got some really interesting things here. So Brandon Cooks last year was the eighth best wide receiver in fantasy, Hmm. but he was playing for a different team. So he was eighth best. He had 1,170 yards and eight touchdowns with Drew Brees throwing to him. So, you know, the question is, are you going to get more than that when he's with Tom Brady? Is he going to get less than that? He's going to be about the same. You know, who knows? They've obviously got another full complement of um, a lot of supplementary wide receivers who certainly can be huge in PPR leagues from time like Julian Edelman and whatever. But Brandon Cooks is, is going to be obviously their feature wide receiver next year. They traded a first round pick for him. So, you know, he's somebody that you're going to look for that might have huge upside. Gronk, always huge when he plays. You spent like a million dollars on him in one of our fantasy leagues. He played four games. He was a beast in all four of them, but the other 12 games, he did not. Yeah, that really killed my team. Because he didn't play. So the thing with Gronk is, boy, if he's healthy all 16 games, he's going to be the number one tight end in the game. But he's really had a lot of injury concerns. And I, I mean, I can't imagine people are going to pay a ton of money for him next year, knowing the injury risk. And the Patriots defense was playable, eighth best. But, you know, it's not, not going to make or break your week. The thing that is really hard about the Patriots when it comes to fantasy is I think it comes back actually to Bill Belichick's genius in a way that he game plans so well for teams. And also because the Patriots, like we talked about earlier, treat pretty much any player as expendable, they don't really give a shit about any like player feelings in terms of getting the ball a certain amount, getting a certain number of catches. Like you'll see other teams, they'll say things like, oh, we really got to make sure that, you know, so-and-so gets, you know, get some reps out there or whatever. That's like sort of made to make the, the players feel good. Bill Belichick doesn't give a shit about that. Yeah. What's so frustrating about having Patriots players on your team is that you'll have, you know, Danny Amendola. He may be a good player when you look at the point totals at the end of the year, but week to week, you just don't know. Some weeks... It's not a Danny Amendola game because they don't like that matchup. And you watch the game and you just see 
every catch going to someone else and you're watching and you're like, who the fuck is Austin Carr? And like, why is yeah, yeah. he getting all the catches this game? Because they just like the matchup of Austin Carr with whatever person is. Or it's like they'll play the game and they'll just run it like 50 times. They'll just never throw yeah. it. And it's like, we're just running it this game. Right. And, and it's so frustrating to have a good player one week who is just totally worthless the next. So I would say that having Patriots on my fantasy team, my experience has been that well, it might yield points. It is not like a like a fun experience. It's not a satisfying experience for a team that has this many good players. I think y- you have to mark them down for that. So I'm going to go with a five and a half out of ten. Frankly, I, I think it's fair. I mean, I've gone through the pain of of having a, a Patriots player who puts up like a zero, and it's just like it's so frustrating. Yeah, so frustrating. And the degree to which Bill Belichick doesn't give any fucks about that is even more yeah. frustrating. Number eight, is the owner a monster? So the owner of the New England Patriots is Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft has a net worth of $5.2 billion. Robert Kraft is a somewhat interesting individual. So let's first get his connection to Brandeis. Robert Kraft married Myra Natalie Hyatt who was a 1964 graduate of Brandeis University. She passed away in 2011 from cancer. Uh, when she passed away, the, the whole team wore her like initials on their jerseys. And uh, Robert Kraft, the, the whole strange thing about this is he is a lifelong Democrat and was donated to Barack Obama's president campaign, but is now sort of like an outspoken Donald Trump supporter, which it seems to make no sense, but it's, it's all related to his wife, where he said um an article about this said when robert kraft's wife died moani and donald came to the funeral they came for a memorial week to visit with me they called me once a week for a whole year to see how i was doing which was the most depressing year of my life he invited me to things tried to lift my spirits he was one of the five or six people that were were there for me and he remembers that so like robert kraft when he's going through this very depressing year after losing his wife of 50 years Donald Trump was was there for him, and that's been very meaningful to him. It's just weird to have him be so outspoken, but right. from and policy I, perspective. I always knew that Kraft was a a pretty liberal guy. I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting hypothetical or like an interesting question of like someone as vile as Trump, and then someone, if you're Kraft, who also like probably disagree, you disagree with on more than you, you agree with, but you like, right? Rightly or wrongly, you just think is a good person. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem with Trump is that Donald Trump can be funny and I'm sure personable. He's like charming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's perfect as a business person. He's just terrible when he's applying those same things to the country. But anyways, before we get into politics, I've got more to say, which I think is actually really interesting as to how he acquired this team, because it was sort of like a really long concerted effort by him and it was it's just very interesting how he did it so where did he get his money well robert Kraft's a self-made man actually his money comes from a paper and packaging conglomerate making things like cardboard boxes or the little packs you get your samuel adams in like that is the company he made he was like in the 70s or 80s he was like i think international trade's going to be a big thing and what are we going to need to do all that international trade boxes to put the stuff so he makes this money from this you know paper and packaging conglomerate he's got the money but he doesn't have enough money to buy the patriots yet he's a big patriots fan grew up oh in the new england area so 
1984, the current owner of the Patriots, Billy Sullivan, they're reeling from a series of bad investments. Principally, they invested big in the Jackson 5 1984 Victory Tour, which didn't go very well, apparently. <laughs> so they, as part of this, they had to put up the stadium that the Patriots played in, which was called Sullivan Stadium, as collateral. So they lose all the money, they go bankruptcy, so the stadium goes into bankruptcy. So Robert Kraft, sensing opportunity, outbids several competitors to buy the stadium in bankruptcy court for Sullivan for $22 million. So he just owns a stadium. The stadium was considered outdated and worthless, but as part of the stadium, it included this lease to the Patriots, which ran through 2001. So it ran for another 15 years. The Patriots had leased it and said they (laughs) had to play in the stadium. So the current owners, they want to move the team to Jacksonville, the Sullivans. You know, they're getting a sweet deal to move to Jacksonville. However, Robert Kraft has this lease, which is very ironclad, and says basically they can only move the team if the person with the lease gives them permission to. Robert Kraft says, no, no. you can't move them. It breaks the lease. So the owners say, we're going to sell the team. Now, Robert Kraft still can't yet afford the team, but a new guy buys the team. So James Orthwine in 1992 he wants to move the team to st louis so in the new guy a couple years later he says robert Kraft, i'll give you 75 million dollars you bought the stadium for 22 million dollars i'll give you 75 million dollars so i can get out of this lease and move the team to st louis you're gonna quadruple your investment robert Kraft says no i'm I'm holding you to the lease you cannot move the team so now this new guy who has a team is like well if i can't move the team to st louis I don't want to own the team anymore. So he decides to sell. Now, at this point, Robert Kraft has made enough money that he can now make a bid on the team. And in fact, because he owns the lease, anybody who bids on the team also needs to like deal with Robert Kraft because he's got the lease. So Robert Kraft just goes to the current owner and says, like, don't even don't even deal with this complicated process of people of me having to approve all these people. I'll just give you $172 million right now for the team, which at the time would have made it the was the most expensive purchase in history and just be like, and what's done deal. I obviously approve it. I have the lease. Save yourself the trouble. Do it. The guy accepts. So now he has bought the team. Years later, Robert Kraft basically said his his passion and love of the Patriots had him broke every financial rule he has because the team was so expensive. But he said, you know, I want to go for it because I love the Patriots. And he says to this day, Robert Kraft has a 1984 Jackson 5 victory tour poster <laughs> in his office as a of reminder of what allowed him to to buy the team. So, I mean, this is a long and plotting process over the course of like nearly 10 years to sort of get up assets which would enable him to like be in position to buy this team. And what's so funny about that story is that it seems like he was very much making these decisions based on his own personal fandom of the Patriots and his own desire to maybe one day actually own the Patriots. Yeah. And if you have to, if you look at it, it's like the people wanted to move the team. And I know, look, we gave Paul Allen a lot of credit a couple of weeks ago. Right. You know, it's easy to forget now because the Patriots are so good. The Patriots were mired in mediocrity for decades. Absolutely. And, you know, they were just like, let's get out of here. This is terrible. And Robert Kraft you know, as part of this long con was like, no, you can't move the team. And, you know, eventually it's sort of. Right. But that's sort of the interesting thing about it is that, well, he was making these 
these decisions based on his own fandom, it actually also turned out to be absolutely the best financial thing for him to do. Turning down $75 million is a pittance compared to the actual value of the Patriots now. Yeah, absolutely, which is in the billions. More things about Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is and and has been a a huge owner in the like base the like machinations of the NFL in these meetings and these committees that they have. In the 2011 NFL labor negotiations, the NFL Players Association representative Jeff Saturday, who is also the center for the Colts, praised Kraft and said his role in negotiations, stating, "Quote: Without him, this deal does not get done. He is the man who helped us save football." So, you know, he's this guy who's wheeling and dealing. He's this guy who has the respect of the players. He has respect of the other owners. I feel I feel like I'm I've I've never been so conflicted about an owner. On the one hand, here's a guy who saved a team from moving twice and was really scrappy and kind of like conniving in how he got the team, which is totally worthy of respect. On the other hand, he's like good buddies with Trump. On the one hand, he, you know, is being praised for uh, you know, being fair in labor negotiations, which obviously is important thing to me. Uh, players like him. On the other hand, he's partially responsible for Roger Goodell. So it's like, you know, I can, it's just, it's just like everything he does is like one thing that's good, one thing that's bad. And but- I'll just, I'll just put one more in this last thing I've got at him. Cause I said all this stuff about Paul Allen, the Robert Kraft and the Kraft family have donated over $100 million to a variety of philanthropic causes, including education, women's issues, healthcare, youth sports, Israeli causes, yada, yada, yada. In uh, 1990, Kraft and his wife and father-in-law funded a joint professorship between Brandeis University and Holy Cross College, forming the Kraft Hyatt Endowed Chairs in Comparative Religion, the first interreligious endowed chairs in the United States. So, you know, if you guys were going you know, over to Holy Cross. And uh, I think they're the Crusaders. Ooh, Crusaders versus the judges. I love it. Look, uh, <laughs> it was so much, so much Crusaders are so much better than judges. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, okay. You know, I think it's worth asking with Bob Kraft, similar to what we talked about with the coach. If you were a fan of 31 other NFL teams, would you rather have your owner or Robert Kraft? And I think, like, other than, you know, Jerry Jones, I'm sure Cowboy fans are pretty happy that they have him and Paul Allen and a few others. He's got to be pretty high on that list of, of owners that you would want to own your team. He's a fan of the team, lifelong. Uh, I mean, there's just the Patriots are the model organization yes, in the yes, NFL from yes. top to bottom. Obviously, there are things I don't like about him, which are going to knock him down. Um, but I'm going to say it probably, Cleanly would get a seven out of ten, but I I gotta give an extra point for the Brandeis connection, so eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. No, I think it's fair. I mean well, we'll get to it in the second half of the doubleheader, but I would exchange for Robert Kraft. I don't even care if like Robert Kraft was Donald Trump or like was like <laughs> in the Donald Trump. I don't Ugh. Wouldn't it have been great if Donald Trump just bought an NFL team? Ugh. He was so close. He had the XFL team. You know, if the XFL had worked out, Donald Trump would not be the president right now. (laughs) Ugh. Number nine, rate the uniform and the logo. So the name, the Patriots, came from a name the team contest that was conducted for the original franchise in 1960. Pat Patriot, the cartoon of a Minuteman preparing to snap a football, drawn by the Boston Globe's Phil Bissell, 
was chosen as the team's logo after, you know, the contest, after it was submitted by a bunch of people. While the first part of the team's name changed from the Boston Patriots to the New England Patriots, uh, the, you know, the Patriot, of course, remained. But they don't have the little wacky logo of the... uh, Minute yeah, man the, snapping yeah, the football. squatting, yeah. But they do, they do have that in their retro uniforms, which is, it's always, it's a good retro uniform. So their current logo right now with this sort of like guy with the, uh, the flowing blue and white is a Minuteman wearing a red, white, and blue hat that's sort of like a tricolor hat, and it transitions into a flower like banning like, banner design. So... If you sort of cover up the like red part in the back, it's just a guy wearing a tricolor hat, but it sort of mm. is flows into the uh, the the red banner in the back part. It's sort of weird. It feels like a lost opportunity that they're not selling those hats that are like a uh, tricorner hat with a flag <laughs> hanging off of it. Like you know, you see the cheese heads. Why don't why 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 doesn't everyone just have those hats in the stadium? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all right. I mean, I think it's 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 kind of boring and. You know, I think as I go through this process, I'm less apt to like logos that are like a dude on the logo. It's fine, but I don't like it. It's just kind of boring. Three and a half out of ten. Ouch. Falcons, they're loving it. They're breathing easy now. Nothing can happen. Don't get comfortable, Falcons. (laughs) Nothing could happen now. Number ten. Do they play a style of play you would enjoy watching? The question is just simply, do you like watching good football or not? Because... Last year, they had the number one overall DVOA in the league. They were number two in offensive DVOA, number 16 in defensive DVOA, yet they had the number one scoring defense. So this is what people were sort of saying as they were going to the playoffs, that they were that even though they were the number one scoring defense, they actually you know weren't as good as sort of the score lines were, were rendering due to like difficulty of the teams they were playing or whatever. They had a very easy schedule last year. Well, I mean, in the Super Bowl, they allowed a lot of points, but they scored more. They had the number three scoring offense. You know, we all watch them play a, a million games. You you know what you're going to get with the Patriots. And they have a great style of play. And when you watch it and you're rooting against them, they're even fun to hate, I think. Uh, yeah, this is... They have a, you can't beat their style of play. It's They don't mess up. They tied the, for the fewest turnovers. I mean, they're just... You know, let's just go full 10 out of 10. All right. I mean, they're good. If my team played like them, I would be happy. Falcons are starting to get nervous. The th- rumbles in the crowd. Well, and, and and the one thing I'll say about the style of play, too, I like that Bill Belichick takes more risks than other coaches. He goes for it more on fourth down. Yeah. He doesn't kick field goals every time. You know, like he'll, he'll, he'll go for it sometimes in the right areas of the field. He'll, he'll even go for it instead of punting. So, like, he... It's also a style of play that is less frustrating, I think. I remember that Colts game a long time ago where it was like fourth and two on their own 30-yard line or whatever, and it was towards the end of the game. They were down, and they were trying to make comeback, and but they had timeouts, and everybody was like, oh, punt, punt. And he was like, no, I'm going for it. I don't want to give the ball back to Peyton Manning because he gets one first down the game over. They go for it on fourth and two. They don't get it. But he's Bill Belichick, so he just comes after and be like, I thought it was the right play to do. I mean, that's another thing that's great about it is we were talking last week how Marvin Lewis sort of has this stink that carries him on him in the playoffs that like it like has an effect on the game. Right. And I mean, I watched it yesterday with my Washington Capitals who are like, there's no amount of skill they could have that can overcome the stink that DC puts on them. Nothing. They could... The team could be every player on the team could be Jesus Christ and they'd still lose because they have got DC labeled on them. And for like the Patriots, it's the opposite. Bill Belichick 
no coaching decision he ever does will ever be questioned. And it's like, right. that is right. worth its weight in right. gold. He'll, he, no, on, nobody on the team would ever have to think about like, oh, what is this? All they would be is like, how do you always win when you're not supposed to? Like, why are you right. so amazing right. at that? Right. And they're like, well, I don't know. We know exactly what plays the other team's going to call, you know? That's what we do. (laughs) All right. Number 11. What is interesting about this fan base? Okay. So um, if any Boston fan has listened this far, just just tune out right now. Just don't. You don't want to keep listening to this because my Washington Wizards are playing the Boston Celtics and I'm, I'm sick of Boston fans. I'm sick of everything i'm sick of their fox news boston (laughs) has their own fox news in the bs report bill simmons is the most ridiculous homer of all time like it's this the most one of the most popular podcasts in podcasting certainly the most popular sports podcast it's the it's full of boston homers mike lombardi who's this guy who's like oh i know bill belichick i work for the patriots i do this and that he's like got his own podcast now it's like this brilliant gm he was the GM for the Cleveland Browns in 2013. He was in charge of a draft. On draft day, it was graded a D plus. I looked. They re, you know, they regrade the draft three years later. His draft was graded an F. He was involved in one draft that was graded an F three years later. Why is this guy on some podcast is some brilliant thing? You know, it's like what we talked about last week when it's like, oh, uh, Marvin Lewis, he creates all of these like defensive coordinator or whatever and sends them off right. and they sort of have successful careers. If you, if like Bill Belichick is not the person on your podcast, the person's an idiot. Like we've seen it. He sends their, his disciples out in the world. Nothing right. happens to them. Right. Mike Lombardi is an idiot. Nobody should be listening to him. It's like, it is just Fox News. Everything's the party line. Oh, they complain. Oh, Boston this, Boston that. Boston is number one in the champs or chumps championship index. Every one of their four major sports teams has won a championship in the last 10 years. Your city, San Diego, has never won a fucking championship. Your football team was taken away from you. My team has four professional sports teams which have not won a championship since 1991 in 25 years. Fuck these Boston fans if they think they know anything about sports. Sports is suffering. Sports is excite. Like, can you imagine what you would feel like if any of your teams won anything? No, I can't imagine. I, I, I frankly cannot imagine. I can't either. If you're a Boston fan and you're a fan of any team, you've won once in the past 10 years. And two of your teams have won twice. Oh, the Red Sox. You know, the Patriots have won twice. Oh, the Red Sox. The great Red Sox. This year, the Red Sox have the second highest payroll in baseball. Their payroll is higher than the New York Yankees this year. Fuck. I mean, this is insane. Like, dude, Boston is not these under. Boston is like Boston's evil empire. Every one of Boston teams is the evil empire. Every person who covers Boston sports and pretends to be a Boston fan at the preface of everything they say about it should be like, we are the luckiest, most spoiled fans in the world, and we don't deserve what we're getting. These Super Bowls are insane. They had no right to win this Super Bowl. They had no right to win the Seattle Super Bowl. But it's I don't know what deal Bill Belichick made with the fucking devil. Oh, my God. And the racism. This 10 days ago, somebody threw a bag of peanuts at Adam Jones, who's hitting. They're calling him names. I'm not even going to talk about the racism. I haven't been to any sporting events in Boston. I don't know. But here's what I will say. The Fox News of Boston, the ringer, came out with a story the day after that happened, which was, quote, what happened to Adam Jones isn't just a Boston problem with the subtitle, 
By focusing on Red Sox fan and blaming the city's history for the racial abuse directed at the Orioles outfielder, we're letting everybody else off the hook. What the fuck? We're not letting... You're the team that did this. We're not... We. You're on the hook. You should not have a stadium where people are throwing things and having fucking chants at people. You're on the hook now. Stop blaming everybody else. Accept the fact that Boston might have a problem. Accept the fact that you're the luckiest fucking fans in the world and just get over it. You know, fuck you, Boston fans. I'm sick of them. So I had the experience of living in Boston the year that the Patriots won their first Super Bowl with Tom Brady. So I was... I remember listening to sports talk when Drew Bledsoe got injured and people were like, oh shit, we thought we were going to be decent this year. Our season's ruined. And then like through the like, oh, this young guy, Tom Brady, late draft pick from Michigan, like, oh, he looks pretty good. And then that transforming into like, oh no, shit, this guy's really good to what are we going to do when Bledsoe came back? And and I mean, that whole playoff run. And I I was, I remember rooting for the team. I mean, I, I lived there. It was like exciting that the the charges were terrible that year and so kind of going through all those emotions and it's actually one of the reasons one of the one of the the sparks for this project was the feeling that i saw surrounding me when the patriots won which was one that i knew i would i could never feel about a team that i just randomly adopted that i really had to like have good reason and 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 feel that team deep within myself but to get it let the record show and i think this is very important the longest championship drought in boston history was ended by that super bowl so the last championship boston had won was the celtics in 86 and then boston went about 15 years without winning anything so when they won that super bowl certainly as the largest underdogs as large of underdogs they were like and i would say both that Absolutely. Super Bowl and the 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 World Series they won in 2004 were these unbelievable underdog stories. This is the point that I'm getting to, though, about the Patriots. Somehow, that moment of joy with the Patriots was unable to erase the chip on their shoulder that Patriots fans have. Hmm. And I do think that it's actually within the core of Boston fandom because, I mean, it's actually, like, I think, understandable. Picture, if you're a Boston fan... Your number one rival is New York City, the like biggest metropolitan city, like the closest thing we have to like a capital of the world. Yeah, is your team's rival, and Boston is like it's a it's a major U.S. city, but it's like sort of a small town just in its like mindset and 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 attitude. It's like it's a little bit like provincial. I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's actually like very charming. So there's there's a sort of underdog ethos that slips in just to the very nature of not even unrelated to sports being a bostonian and then you you compile that with the red sox are the number one team in boston no matter what anyone else says at any other time and their drought was so long relative to their rival yeah in new york so so the point is is that is that one victory and now nine victories and even 20 victories it still has not been enough to 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 knock that chip off their shoulder, which all this saying that is understandable is also really fucking annoying for fans of everywhere yeah. else that are like, I would kill for one championship and you're complaining about not having enough. So yes, I get it, but it's also annoying and it is definitely something that I think is just a 
an inescapable part of Boston fandom. So this fan base, I, you know, I'd actually be signing up for a chip on my shoulder. You know, it's like a three out of 10. Three out of 10. It's interesting that you say that because now it makes like the Giants beating the Patriots like all the worse. That Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. See, I, I've never really spent any time in Boston. I just know. I mean, my entire experience with Boston fans is through the Fox News of Boston. And, uh, <laughs> and look, there are parts of it I like, but I just the fact that they don't appreciate how spoiled they are just infuriates me. It's funny that you talk about Bill Simmons because, you know, Boston also has its own almost literal Fox Sports News of Boston, which is Nesson, the New England Sports Network, which is like so far up the uh, Patriots' ass that it's, it's like it's a very funny channel to watch. Yeah. And look, the Patriots, are, I'm not dis- disputing anything. I would kill for any of these teams that actually win at something. It's just like they're so lucky. Everything is that Super Bowl is so lucky. I mean, the Red Sox, when they won that fucking Super Bowl two years ago, they, they, David Ortiz hits a grand slam to tie the game that's one foot outside of that, the outstretched arm of uh, the, the uh, Tigers receiver. And then he falls over into the dugout and they have like the amazing picture, like the agony of defeat. Like, who's writing this like it's unbelievable (laughs) that this happens and the coming back from the three zero i'm always i always imagine like when the caps were playing yesterday i'm like oh this is the year it's like we finally get the game seven we're gonna beat the penguins this is gonna like knock it off you know we're this is it it's going to happen and then you watch and it's just like they meekly lose two zero and it's like nope where this isn't the year (laughs) where that's gonna happen they're just gonna keep losing forever yeah no, it, it it does seem like these amazing sports narratives only happen to Boston fans, and yet Boston fans still want to cast themselves as like the underdog, which is very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. All right, we can move on from the fans. All right, number twelve, rate the drink. The Sammy Adams simple craft beer. It is simple. I don't drink enough Sam Adams. It's it's very pleasant. Nothing earth shattering. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Dan, do you agree? How was your Sam Adams? This one's a little warm because it's been sitting here for the last hour and a half, but no complaints. So that puts the New England Patriots at 64 and a half, well below the Falcons at 82. So you've got for the teams that are in the vicinity of this, you have the Giants at 60 and a half, which are a no. You've got the Texans at 69, which are a maybe. You've got the Buccaneers at 65 that are a no. And then you've got the Broncos and the Chargers both at 62, which are a maybe. So you've got a couple of teams, the Broncos and the Chargers, that are lower that you've put a maybe. You have one team higher, the Buccaneers, that you've given a no. So that you're, this is right in the no to maybe boundary. This is like a very cusper team, yeah. yeah. Ooh, we got This is a tough decision, Dan. This is the hardest decision we've had in a while. So many other teams have been clear cut, yes or no. I mean, come on. You're not going to root for the fucking Patriots, Joe. I mean, I don't know. I want to be fair. Do they deserve a shot in the Sweet 16? It's up to you. Well, Dan, you know, interestingly enough, one thing we didn't talk about. The San Diego Chargers, when we talk about them never winning a Super Bowl, do have one championship in their history when they won the AFL championship in 1963. And you know what team they beat in that game? 
The Boston Patriots. The Boston Patriots, 51 to 10. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a blowout. Yeah. So just like my Chargers, San Diego Chargers, at one time did to the Patriots, I'm going to have to uh, leave them uh, in defeat here and say, unfortunately, that the Patriots will not be moving on with us. It's tough but fair. Signing off for this one, but our next double, the next half of this doubleheader, it's going to be my beloved Washington Football Club. So everybody, if you're listening to this and you've made it through this on the day it's released, the next podcast should be out probably the next day or something. Get ready. Hold your hats. It's my team. Thanks, Dan. All right. See ya.